and gentlemen, we are on day 11 of the World Cup. Deep into the group stage. Plenty, plenty, plenty of fresh things to talk about. But first, let's introduce our panel. With me, I have Caleb Rhodes. Hello. How's everyone doing? And it's me, Nick Avinden. And I'm pretty sure that's it. I'm pretty sure we're not missing anyone. No. At all. No one. No. I no think we, it's, it's always been this way. It always will be this way. Yeah. There's no dissenting voice. No dissenting voice. Nope. No, we do regret to inform you that Nathan Strauss cannot be with us today. That's right. There will discuss. be no references to RB Leipzig. Yep. Their random transfers, including, um, <laughs> what's his name? Matthias uh, Kuna. Kuna. Who they who, signed uh, today from FC Sion. Yeah, he's a great player. You know, he yep. had 10 goals and 30 appearances in the, mm-hmm. the Swiss League. They sold him for, or they bought him, rather, for just about... 15 times his market price. <laughs> but as much as you would like us to talk about RB Leipzig, or as much as we know you'd like to hear about RB Leipzig, we are going to talk about the biggest sporting event going on right now in Russia, the World Cup. Caleb Rhodes, take us through our first topic. So, this World Cup has been interesting for a lot of reasons, one of which has been a lot of big teams underperforming. We've seen Brazil held to a draw. We've seen Germany lose to Mexico. We've seen Argentina. I'm not even sure what to call what they've done Capitulate. so far. Capitulate. Capitulate, that's a good word. Um, it's, it's not been good for a lot of these favorites. It has not been good. In Germany, we're about to be we're about to be flung out of the competition by Sweden yesterday, if not for an uh, inspired second-half performance by switching Timo Werner onto the left wing and... Uh, allowing Marco Royce and Tony Kroos to take over. See, Tony Kroos, he should be so thankful that he scored that free kick because mm-hmm. otherwise, it was all his fault. Yep. Like the goal that they conceded to Ola Toivonen, who, mind you, is a very average striker applying his trade in the in Ligue 1. Um, in his, you know, he's one of the best passing center midfielders in the world, and yet for some reason, rather than just making the easy pass out to Kimmich at right back. He tried to cut it back inside to Sebastian Rudy. And that horrible giveaway, disaster. Honestly, Germany were not amazing. They were not amazing game. against Sweden. They were dominant in the second half, yeah. but only because Sweden were so happy to concede possession yeah. and play on the counterattack, which was working really well for them. And in the first half, you could argue that they should have had a penalty. Marcus Berg being taken down in the box. Yeah. That's when I think like the major development this World Cup is that Teams are almost so cognizant of where they stand, in theory, compared to other teams that they're totally willing to play, like, I'll call it like Mourinho plus soccer, like Iran versus Spain. I've never seen a team zonal mark to the point where they literally were marking no one. It was literally like 11, it looked like a football, like play. There were like both teams lined up in front of each other. Yep. Incredible. You have teams like Mexico who are so willing to concede possession and who play teams like Germany who do just dominate possession in Mexico are willing to completely concede it but just use their defensive game plan where they use Carlos Vela to mark members of the midfield. Mm-hmm. And yesterday we saw that as they he, he marked out Ki Sung Young, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So he just like strays along in the midfield and, and just sort of marks them out and pulls the Onda Herrera job mm. that we saw a couple seasons ago against Eden Hazard. And also, if you want to talk about big teams underperforming. We do have to talk about Argentina. 
Yeah, and this is very complicated because not only do you have the storyline of Argentina being, you know, the finalists from 2014, but you also have the fact that Ronaldo has performed very well for Portugal. He's got four goals. He's got four goals, and Messi, you know, has one point from two games and zero goals. Um, one would say negative one goals, seeing yeah, as he missed a penalty you're right. against Iceland. And there's, there's been a lot of hot takes going around. One Canadian sportscaster <laughs> labeled Messi a, a literal fraud. If you haven't seen this video, it's it's on the internet. It's on Bleacher Report. It's on YouTube. I suggest that All you go and find it. All of our you know, competitor sports <laughs> <Exactly>. networks. <laughs> I suggest that you go and find it. It really is, if not worth your time certainly will make your day in some capacity, whether you're a Messi hater or a Messi lover. Yeah. But so Messi has been trying his hardest, but not quite succeeding. And Sampioli has really just set up this Argentina team in a disastrous way. Explain that further, Caleb. Explain what what sort of tactics have gone into Argentina looking so lackluster against both Iceland and then being dominated by the midfield of Croatia. Yeah, so you have to remember, heading into this tournament... There were a lot of sort of interesting decisions that Sampioli made just about his squad construction sort of as a whole. He left Icardi, who's the top scorer. He is the top scorer in Serie A. In Serie A at home, which was justifiable because they had Higuain and Aguero, who are, you know, more experienced internationally and probably have a few more tricks um, to play with. Um, And then he lost Lanzini to injury, who while being sort of an average player for West Ham, has been a favorite for the Argentinian national team. And he leaves players like Dibola on the bench. And what was most interesting is after the draw against Iceland, where Pavone and Benega played really well off the bench, he didn't give them, or he gave Pavone a few minutes at the end, but he didn't start them. And instead he kept with Meza at left wing over Di Maria. Meza, who's a sort of mediocre attacking player who plays for Independiente. Um, I think he's Boca Juniors. Boca Juniors. Yeah. Um, in the Argentinian league. And he played Eduardo Salvio um, as a right wing back, even though he's really sort of a right winger. And he played Marcus Acuna, who's a left winger at left wing back. And he also, in defense, played um, Tagliafico, who's a natural left back, over both Fazio and um, Marcus Rojo. So he played a lot of players out of position. And he played a lot of players that weren't the best players. Like, why you would play Meza over a player like Di Maria, or even trying a two-striker system, or Dibla, etc. Just didn't make, didn't make a lot of sense. And so, as much as Messi wasn't able to drag them to victory, Sampioli, and I think a lot of people have said this, really just set this team up for failure from the start. Yep. And the thing about Sampioli is he looked, he, he looked to his bench to players like Dibla and Higuain, and when he threw them on, I use that word very carefully, threw them on. Yeah. He really threw them on without really giving them much to work off of, much positional awareness. He kind of threw Dibola on, just hoping that Dibola could create something. And the problem with Croatia is that they were set up in such an organized fashion. They knew the game plan. They set up in sort of a 4-5-1 to completely nullify Argentina, both on the wings and through the center midfield and sort of closed yeah. all the channels. Making really making Acuna and Salvio look really foolish in that game, and I think as much as we can talk about Argentina underperforming, I think we do have to talk about Croatia looking like a very solid unit going forward. I think against Nigeria, a game that they won two nothing, but really their 
first shot on target on that game was the Modric penalty in the second half. Right. I think they had all the pieces to be talented, but now front to back, they have that back line of Versalsko, Lovren, Vida, and yeah. Strinic, I believe it is, at left back. They're very compact and organized, and they have such excellent communication with Brozovic, who's sort of that anchor in the midfield, right. who's allowing Modric and Rakitic to sort of play their game. Yeah, I think what's interesting about Croatia is a lot of teams that you wouldn't normally consider soccer powerhouses tend to have like one really good attacking player that they can feed the ball to. Um, but for Croatia, who are like a solid team, their real strength lies in their midfield, um, which I think is sort of unusual because um, yeah. they have Modric, Rakitic, Brozovic, Kovacic, um, Perisic. Perisic. They have like really excellent players in midfield that allow them, even though they don't have the best attacking players, you know, Mandzukic is aging. Um, it allows them to really control the game. Um, and so by playing a 4-1-4-1, where you really had Rakitic and Modric suffocating Argentina in particular, it just it destroys teams. And they're really so solid all the way throughout, which I think is also unusual, is that they have players at every position that maybe not necessarily playing for Champions League quality teams are all sort of play in the top five leagues and are sort of established professionals. And so I think they have great balance and they understand their system and they understand who their top players are. And it's really allowing them to succeed in a way that I think people had always thought this Croatia team could. Um, but sort of now they're finally putting the pieces together. Right. And I think it's very similar to a team that we're going to get onto further in this podcast, Belgium, mm-hmm. where all of the pieces, the individuals are coming together to play a unified style that perhaps they didn't have at the last Euros or mm-hmm. the last World Cup, where they did look like a team of individuals. Even the last game against Nigeria, where they looked like Kovacic started that game, and Kovacic, Modric, and Rakitic looked like they weren't on the same page. Yeah. And in this game, I think the key addition of Brozovic, just allowing Modric and Rakitic to work together with Perisic, with Rebic, who we yeah. haven't discussed yet, mm-hmm. he was excellent against Argentina. Uh, capitalized off a horrific all-time, all-time Willy Caballero mistake. Yeah. How far do you think Croatia can get with the pieces that they have and the system that they now play? I mean, I think... Have they sealed top spot in their group? They have. So, I think they're looking really good, and I think they're looking really confident. Now, I think we haven't necessarily seen them tested as much as we should have, because while this Argentina team is like pretty good on paper... They didn't really have any sort of system or any kind of structure. And those are the kinds of games where a strong midfield team like Croatia will be able to tear that apart. Um, So I think they'll head into whatever holds for them in the future very confident. But it's hard to truly evaluate how they would do against a team like Spain that actually has a midfield to match. Um, So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But they're looking really, really good so far. Another team that's looking really, really good is the sort of sleeper hit of the World Cup, and that is El Tri, the Mexican national team. They stunned Germany, and what I think we can call a historic result, Yeah. and their players that we've talked about on this very podcast, Chucky Lozano, oh, dude. has think been a star revelation. All three of us picked him to be a breakout player. Yep. I don't mean to toot my own horn, <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, he's so. broken out. He's broken out. He's yep. a goal and an assist. El Chucky. El Chucky. El Chucky. He's a goal and assist. He's pivotal. 
yep. to the way that Mexico play in sort of that unique way that we described earlier, where Chicharito and Vela sort of become these pseudo members of yeah. the midfield. And they create a lot of space for Lozano to play into. And we saw that against Korea, where Lozano opened things up and then made a really incredible choice to pass to a not super open Chicharito, yeah. but was able to sort of score the same goal that Lozano scored against Germany. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and I think teams are definitely, at least Germany did, totally underestimated Mexico. I think they, for some reason in their mind, they had it like they were any other CONCACAF team. You know, they were playing against them like they were Panama. But Mexico are, like, lethal. They are lethal. Like, Chicharito, although he hasn't been... His transfer to West Ham didn't work out last year. You know, he had a few good years at Bayer Leverkusen. He had a number of good years at Manchester United. Vela was a great player in La Liga. Lozano, 17 goals. Like, good uh, Guadrado, excellent midfielder for Betis, who are now playing Europa League next season. Like, there's a lot of quality there. Um, and I don't think... Germany gave them the respect right. they deserved, and they really paid for that. And I think you have to respect Juan Carlos Osorio, mm-hmm. who came under a lot of criticism before this tournament for sort of being maybe a bit too clever, rotating a lot of players, dropping six or seven players or yeah. even more, and adding just like really complex tactics that maybe he didn't need to, maybe he should have just simplified things. Yeah. And we saw that both game plans have worked to a T. Yeah. Their counterattack has been lethal. And just their pure athleticism that they've utilized to beat teams like Germany and to even just outmuscle the Korean big striker. Right. And it's a great contrast to Argentina, actually, in that for Mexico, you have a player like Miguel Ayun, who was an excellent wide back for Sevilla and formerly Porto, playing in center midfield. And you're playing him out of position, but it like makes sense with the plan. Versus Argentina, where you're playing players out of position, and it doesn't really seem to fulfill like any tactical role. Um, and so I think, yeah, Osorio's done a great job. And as you said, sometimes it can seem a little intricate, but as long as it keeps paying off, I don't know. Yeah. Can Mexico make it to El Cinco Partido, the fifth game? Is that, is that quarterfinals? Yes. I think so. Mexico, so just to explain this to, to maybe fans who aren't privy to this information, Mexico have never made it past the round of 16 at a World Cup. Yes. They're always in search of El Cinco Partido, the fifth game. Yes. And I think with this team, and if they keep playing according to their really brilliant counterattacking game plan, yeah. I think maybe they can get there. Yeah. I think the trouble is, if they come up against a team that's very organized and a team that can sort of pick them apart in midfield, a team like Croatia, Yeah, they could potentially have a little bit of trouble. Although I would say, like, the Germany game, they showed that they could deal with a really, you know, top team. Yeah. Because the thing is, Germany, in both their games, have kept good possession, right? Their midfield is churned away as normal. They just haven't quite been able to get dynamic movement the way they need to do, and to really open them up. And their defense, at least the center backs, have looked kind of shaky. Boateng, in particular, is not playing to his normal. No, he's not. He got sent off yesterday after a very silly challenge. But back to sort of the concept of El Cinco Partido. If you really want to learn more, there's one man you can turn to. (laughs) That man is Mexican dual national, Landon Donovan. (laughs) You can see him. How many ads is he in now? I think he's in three. So Wells Fargo. 
I don't want to plug these businesses on this podcast. But Modelo. We and what's the third one? We just saw it today. Xfinity. Xfinity. Oh, is it Verizon? This whatever the the. It's whatever, some sort of provider, internet provider. Yep. Wireless provider. Yeah, if you really want to learn more, just go to your local packy, pick up some Modelo. It's like those old um, Snapples, you know, a fact on every yep. underside of the... Mm-hmm. So yeah, but El Cinco Vertido, I think it's possible. We give this a thumbs up. I give it a two thumbs up. Two I think they can up. do it. I give it a three thumbs up. Yeah. That's right. We're three <laughs> thumbs. This is the future, my friends. Yep. Okay. And we're going to talk about one last unexpected team that is tearing things up in Russia, and that is Russia. Oh, God. The hosts. They've played two average teams so far, but they do have eight goals to their name. Yeah. Uh, Russia. Where do you start? They are a very physical team. Yeah. They do have Alexander Golovin, who's been a star so far. Center attacking midfielder, 22-year-old. 22-year-old. Plays his trade in Seska Moscow. Been very slick so far is for Russia. Seska? Is it CSKA? Uh, I think it's probably CSKA. Who knows? But he plays there, and he's done quite well. He's been sort of their breakout star. Yeah, I am have. so skeptical of this team and so just fearful of the nefarious things that could be going. So okay, <laughs> if you listen to the New York Times Daily podcast from this past week. They have a whole episode about how Russia got the World Cup bid. And I suggest everyone listens to this podcast because it's truly crazy how much mysteriousness happens. It details the sort of fact that England were the favorites to be the World Cup hosts this year and Russia were the bid that was the least recommended by FIFA. Yeah. For lack of infrastructure, for lack of accessibility... For a whole host of reasons, and yet they got it anyway. And as I've said before on this podcast and on our blog, you know, Putin's not Putin. <laughs> Putin's not gonna let this kind of thing end poorly for his nation, and that's why they got the easiest group, arguably, or one of the easiest groups in modern World Cup history. Source five thirty eight. I believe their their math. Right. Um, and so they've destroyed Saudi Arabia 5-0, who are just bad. And they defeated an Egypt team who are one of those kinds of teams I was talking about earlier that have, like, one good attacking player. And is one good, the one good attacking player was not 100%. Mohamed not, Salah. Yeah, because, you know, Sergio Ramos is paid off by Putin. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Not kidding. Kidding. Not kidding. Um, so, I don't know. But I think if... <laughs> if... <laughs> If Russia play too well against Uruguay tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to have some questions. Really? I'm going to have some questions. Uruguay have not looked incredible. Luis Suarez has looked a bit uh, overweight, is a generous way to put it. Yeah. Coming in this tournament, his match, his, there's Did a lot they, of questions. They made sure he ate before the tournament yeah. than during the games. There's a lot of questions surrounding his match fitness. Cavani has not been as clinical as you would have liked. Yeah. So, I think Russia do definitely have a chance against Uruguay. At the same time, though, Uruguay's defense has been as solid as ever. Right. And so, I don't know. I think if there's like a a 2-0 win for Russia would be unlikely, but it wouldn't sound too many alarm bells for me. But if Russia won like 
3-0, okay? And there was some VAR call that was, like, really sketchy. You know, I'm, I'm calling my congressman. I'm calling Joe. <laughs> and I'm asking saying... some questions. I'm asking some big, big questions, <laughs> okay? And, you know, I might get poisoned for them. Is it... Do you think we can sum a lot of it up to being buoyed by the national crowd? Oh, the yeah. Very patriotic yeah, Russian I think, fans? Uh, yeah. The real answer is probably they're just, like, in front of Russia, Mother Russia, and they're really just playing balls to the wall because yep. they're high. like we saw it we saw it with South Africa you know Shibalala Shibalala yeah sh- Shibalala yeah Shib- T-S-H. scored that amazing goal to open the World Cup right. in 2010 so I think there's a history of teams playing stellarly in front of home crowds Brazil last year Brazil who they they, they, they beat Croatia in the beat first game. Croatia like beat them yeah it was bad so yep that's probably the answer but I just can't shake this feeling of how corrupt everything is. Right. But perhaps they are just playing just exceptionally well yeah. right now, and then they'll get to the knockout rounds, and they'll have to face a more established team, and then we'll see how the hosts fare. Right. And I because think we're like, waiting for that test. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, Russia played well this so far this World Cup. Have probably met the requirements, you know, make round of 16. Right. Maybe round of eight who knows but i don't know i think we're waiting for the hosts to take on that big big team to test them yeah which we'll know more for certain in about a week who that team could be so let's move on to some other big themes this world cup yeah a lot of last minute goals there's been seven goals scored in the 90th minute or later correct the Uh, latest being christ's goal right in the 95th minute yeah so, what do you think about the entertainment value at this World Cup so Oh, this, far? this World Cup has been so entertaining. There have been no 0-0 draws right. so far in this World Cup. We almost had one until Coutinho scored in the 90th minute and then against Neymar. Costa Rica. Yeah. For the most part, teams are going for it. And even teams that didn't go for it are getting really close. Like, right. Iran almost nicked that goal against Spain. That was scary. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we've we've had a lot that you we would want in a World Cup. There's personally, I think one of the best games I've ever seen was Spain versus Portugal, the three three draw in Sochi. Thrilling, really everything you could ask for in a soccer game: free kick goals, penalties, volleys, mistakes, mistakes, (laughs) big big day size to mistakes, day size mistakes, Um, just everything you could ask for. And I think there's been a lot of that in a lot of games. Yeah. True. Yep. I've been, and I'm I'm kind of curious. So, VAR, video assisted refereeing, is being sort of beta tested slash used um, at the World Cup, and we've seen a lot of penalties given because of it that I think normally would have been waved off, um, and I think that also plays into why we haven't seen any like goalless draws is because teams are getting those chances, and while nothing's really been consistent, like. There have been moments where players have been hauled down in one game and it's a penalty and hauled down in the, during corner in another game and it's I think not. if you talk to Harry Kane, he yeah, might exactly. have a bit of an issue with VAR I mean, after Harry, being wrestled to the ground by a Tunisian defender. Yeah, you know, Harry Kane's doing fine with five goals now. Yep. So. But, I don't know. I like VAR. I think it, it holds players accountable. It'll definitely change the game. 
And I think the thing that's been interesting is that the big complaint about VAR is that it would interrupt the flow of the game. And I think the way that it's set up now, the fact that the referees can go and review it while the play is happening, yeah. allows for a bit more fluidity yeah. in your game rather than just stopping and players getting cold and having to wait for the decision to be reviewed. I think if you're able to resume play while the call is getting reviewed, while, while the questionable play is being reviewed, it allows yeah. for a lot of continuity yeah. to still exist in the game. Yeah. yeah. So I do, I do wonder about the scenario where there's a penalty shout from Team X and then Team Y sort of restarts quickly, counters attacks, and scores. But in that 30 seconds, the VAR has ruled that it was a penalty. Right. So then how do you deal with that? Because it wasn't like the goal that Team Y scored was invalid. But Team X also gets a penalty. So there are, like, obviously this that's an extreme situation. And it probably, I assume they've made rules about how VAR would be used. Oh, and Colombia are in the lead! Sorry, we are at corner kick. We practice what we preach here. As we're recording this, we are watching... Uh, Poland-Colombia. Group H. Group H match between Poland and Colombia. And Colombia have taken the lead in the 39th minute. Colombian fans are going crazy in the stands. They're it's almost like, entirely Colombia. It's like the whole nation traveled to this game. It's looking, My goodness. It's looking like the minions from Despicable Me. Is it Yeri Mina? It was Yeri Mina. Yeri Mina of Barcelona has made it. Colombia won. Poland nil. Poland, Robert Lewandowski are facing elimination. Nobody in this tournament is like, I want Poland to succeed. <laughs> like, of all the European teams, of all the European teams to make it here. Nobody is like, wow, I, I, I can see Poland doing things. And I am, I am being emotionally moved. Poland by... are the one European team that has gone down to an African team in this tournament. Not to slate African teams. I think Senegal have been brilliant so far. Yeah. I think they were unlucky to draw against Japan today. Yeah. Um, I think they set up really well and they utilized their sort of pacey players as well with their very sturdy midfield players. Not to sort of... But historically, African teams have not done well coming up against European teams, and Poland are the, are the one side of this World Cup that have gone down to an African team. Yeah, Senegal have really, I think, outdone expectations as an African team at this World Cup. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Maybe it'd be interesting to talk about sort of after the first almost two rounds of games, who we think the World Cup winner will be. Before, in our last podcast, we almost unanimously agreed that it was going to be Brazil. One of our comrades, who isn't here, I say comrade because Mother Russia, um, he was for Germany. And I think a lot of our opinions may have changed since then, actually. Right. And so, where, where do you sit now? I think we can't have this discussion without talking about both Belgium and England. That's true. Who have put up really high, high scoring displays mm -hmm. against, albeit Tunisia and Panama. Mm -hmm. England today ran out 6-1 winners yep. against Panama, and yesterday Belgium beat Tunisia 5-2. Yeah. I think the concerns with these two teams looking so impressive is, just like Russia, they haven't come across elite opposition quite yet. Yeah. And they both play three of the back systems that I think elite teams like Spain, like Brazil, even Germany are going to find themselves with a lot of space, creating a lot of chances with yeah. more elite players who will be more clinical. Yeah, I don't see Lingard being able to play center midfield against a really top team. 
Right. I don't see Henderson being able to control midfield against a really top team. Um, yeah, I have a lot of questions. I think, in a weird way, I think England have been more impressive than Belgium. Um, because Belgium, it's far easier to diagnose where their weakness is. And that's um, the fact that they're playing Yannick Carrasco at uh, left wing back when he's really like almost a pure left winger. Um, like the fact that they ship goals, two goals to Tunisia is really worrying. I think one of them directly from Carrasco being too high up. Exactly. His man back. Exactly. Um, also, they Lukaku might have a little injury. Lukaku has some ligament damage, which is never something that you want to hear. Yeah, although it's unclear how long it he'll be out if he's going to be out. I think he is almost for sure not going to play against England. England. And that leaves Michi Bashuai who you know, came on. He did score, but he also missed a boatload of chances against Tunisia. Yeah. So I think that'll be an interesting game because they play similar systems mm-hmm. and they probably have they have different weaknesses. I think England's weakness is probably more in their midfield because I don't I just don't think Lingard can truly play center mid against a top team while Belgium's lies more in the wings, I which think, England have covered. That's right. the thing, too. Like, Trip- England have Trippier. Or Ashley Young or Danny Rose, both of which are very right competitive players right. as left wing backs. Yeah. I think they they are more solid in their formation than yeah. Belgium are. Belgium's formation feels a bit necessary just to get the best out of their attacking players, like De Bruyne, Hazard, and yeah. Lukaku, and mm-hmm. Mertens, who's also been very impressive at this mm-hmm. tournament. I think England, they are a lot more of a balanced team currently. Mm-hmm. I think Belgium do have the chance to be a bit more clinical. Belgium have more quality, but I really think that Trippier will match up really well against Carrasco. I agree. Especially backed up by Walker. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a huge potential for them to just get overrun on that right wing. Um, but we'll have to wait for round three to right. see that. I think for me, I'm still going to pick Brazil. Brazil, they they look very, very, very confident going forward. And albeit they did draw against a very, very capable Switzerland team, as mm-hmm. we saw yesterday, as they beat Serbia in the 90th minute. Mm-hmm. Off a, a big Jordan Shakiri goal, ripping mm. off his shirt and pulling out the Albanian Eagle celebration. Mm. Very controversial, but that's for another day. Brazil, going forward, they look very confident. They look like they're playing a very explosive system. They look like they are very balanced, both in the back and in midfield. They yeah. seem to have gotten the sort of chemistry between Paulinho linking up with the three attacking players. And I think the only player who's maybe underperformed a bit is Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. Although he did register an assist yesterday. Um, but he just hasn't been as clinical as we've seen from Man City. I do think Brazil will put it together. As you go further in this tournament and your play continues, your confidence grows. And I think against Switzerland, once they made that mistake and conceded, they lacked confidence Yeah, that they did up until they conceded that goal. I think their team that rises to the big occasion, they have enough players who play for the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, that know big games. Yeah. And there's no bigger stage than the World Cup. Yeah. Players and- like Marcelo, like Coutinho, like Neymar like Jesus even, who's played this year in the Champions League, highest stages of the Champions League. I think they have the quality and I think they have the experience to adjust to this World Cup. Yeah, they showed good character to win that game, um, their last one, with two goals in uh, stoppage time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good sign for them because it shows that they can do it. 
you know, even heading into the 91st minute, they're still a threat and they're not resigned to their fate. They're not giving up. Um, and so there's definitely, they have that Samba essence to them, which is important for a Brazil team, but also more importantly for their success in this tournament. And they also have an interesting thing that Tise does where he rotates his captains. Mm. Uh, in the first game it was Marcelo mm-hmm. and in the second game it was Thiago Silva so I think that breeds mutual accountability and accountability yeah um, which I think is increasingly important for a team that has star caliber players in every position besides right back and especially important after you know the 7-1 game in the last right. World Cup where David Luiz kind of got scapegoated probably rightfully so he was atrocious that game but still the idea that like we win as one, we lose as one. We are Brazil. We are not just individuals. Mm-hmm. They're not just Neymar. Yeah. yeah. It's important. What do you think was key in the last World Cup? Yeah. For me, I, I like Spain, honestly. You do? I yeah. think my biggest worry for Spain going into this World Cup was, can they score goals? And you know what? Diego Costa finally looks like the player Spain thought they were getting. He's a bruiser. He gets the goals in. You know, when all the possession isn't working, he's able to score off his knee. That's what I was going to say, is that like he's he's getting points for Spain. Spain are still playing the Spain way, but they're getting goals off of set pieces. They're getting goals off of Diego Costa muscling players off the ball. Yeah, They're doing it in a very un-Spain way yeah. while still building up the play in right. a very Spain passing fashion. In the past, Spain would have drawn that Iran game nil-nil, right? But not this time. Right. Not this time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really promising. And as much as, you know, um, media has sort of discussed the Spain-Portugal game as this, like, almost victory for Portugal, was by no means a bad result for Spain. It wasn't at all. So I think that there was this odd sense of doom and gloom about them um, that they're almost perfectly dispelled. And I think they, they, they look good. I think they've rebounded well from the chaos that was caused by Lopetegui leaving for Real Madrid and yeah. subsequently being... Yeah. Relieved of his duties by the Spanish FA. I agree. I think that could have been a very catastrophic situation. Yeah. And I think they've they've recuperated from that very well. I agree. Player of the tournament? So far? Yeah. Player of the tournament? I think I have to go with Herving Lozano. Really? Player of the tournament? I think just player that I've been most impressed with. Hmm. Which maybe is not the same thing as player of the tournament. I yeah. think if I'm saying purely player of the tournament, it has to be Harry Kane. Mm. He's done the business for England. He's been clinical. He's been, I think, completely deserving of the captain's armband for Harry Kane. He's a four-season wonder. He is a four-season <laughs> wonder. He looks like a person who should be teaching substitute math to like kindergartners at a preschool. But instead, he's got five goals in a World Cup, five goals in which he's been clinical. Yeah. Five goals in which he's been at the right place at the right time. One of those, he won the game for England in the 90th minute. Harry Kane has been captainly, he has been quality, and he has been clinical for England. And I think he deserves player of the tournament, while Irving Lozano has been perhaps equally as impressive without doing as much statistically. I, For me, Coutinho. Coutinho? I think he's been, he has shown his quality so well for Brazil. He's shown himself to be a leader. He's really clutch. 
he's clutch. Um, and I think as Brazil sort of continue to grow into this tournament, his star will only shine brighter. Really? Yeah. He has two goals so far. He has pulled off the Coutinho shot. Yep, that cut in mm-hmm. from like eight, five to eight, ten yards outside the box Yep, on the left and just whip it in. A player who's disappointed? Is it Messi? Yeah, I think Messi, Messi is disappointed. That doesn't mean he's the worst player in the tournament. Reserve that right for... Some Panama player. Some Panama player. Unfortunately. Negative eight goal difference. But, but make Messi, your case for Lionel Messi being underperforming. Well, he hasn't scored. Argentina have performed poorly. You know, we've discussed earlier, he's in a bad system. Missed a penalty. Missed a penalty. I mean, he has lots of dribbles. Not been a leader. Bunch of shots. Not been a good leader. He ran off the field like a... I don't know. Coward, really. Like I think you have to say his actions were cowardly. Yes. He did not... He, he in the first game against Iceland after they drew he sort of stood bemused he looks depressed but depressed at the center circle he ripped off the captain's armband and just sort of stood around disgusted not really talking with anyone and then after the loss against Croatia he didn't do anything to sort of rally his teammates um he he every time Croatia scored he looked at the ground he wasn't like Ronaldo not to make this comparison but when Ronaldo is captaining Portugal and Portugal go down a goal he is sort of rallying his teammates, even if it is in sort of an egotistical, self-aggrandizing way. Yeah, he it, th- there's at least energy, yeah, and desire to get back in this game. Messi has not shown the desire or yeah. will to sort of get Argentina back into the conversation. And maybe in this next game, and there are reports coming out that Messi is gone against Sampaoli and is going to do his best to sort of pick the side that he wants or negotiate I think it, it just the report just straight up said that he's gonna pick the next team against Nigeria yeah. right so we'll see how that goes perhaps that's more leaderly of him yeah I, I just think for him in his mind he just can't shake the feeling that he should have won something by now mm-hmm. you know like two Copa Americas a World Cup you know all these tournaments that they've made to the final of and haven't been able to get the job done and he's just so burnt out by this sort of cyclical storyline of can Messi finally do it oh no something bad happened Messi's a failure and it's just like it's finally kind of catching up with him on his 31st birthday Mm -hmm. you know like time time is father time is slowing him down father time is slowing him down it gets to everyone but perhaps it's come a bit too soon for Lionel Messi yeah and with that I will ask Caleb Rhodes one question do Argentina get out of the group Yes. Yes? You think they beat Nigeria with enough goals to spare? I think if Messi can score a hat-trick against Ecuador to bring them to the World Cup, Messi can score a hat-trick against Nigeria to keep them in the World to Cup. To keep them in the World Cup. I don't think they're going to make the final. I think they're pretty... I think Sampaoli's going to get, like, thrown. There's going to be some mutiny. <laughs> I don't know. Watch out for Sampaoli's life. There's going to be some batata thrown, yeah, strewn across the locker room of Argentina. Yeah. But you heard it here first. We're going to catch the second half of this Poland-Columbia game, see if Robert Lewandowski can will his team back into the World Cup and prevent them from an early skid. But so far, after 11 days, how would you grade this World Cup? C. C? Really? No. (laughs) (laughs) I would give it an A- minus so far. Yeah, in all seriousness, it's... Actually, I'm going to give it an A. 
An A. Because I don't know. I don't know what I what would make it a better World Cup. Would it make it a better World Cup if like all the favorites were rolling over teams and it looked like we were having this like superpower showdown? Right. I don't know if that would make it better. I I don't like the painful storylines as much. Right. But I I like the com- the competition. The competition has been fierce, and I think it's made for very good TV at least. Yeah. P- people are here to play. Right. People are here to play. Mexico's here to play. Yeah. Iceland's here to play. Corner Kick is here to play, and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and those will link you to our WordPress, which you'll find all sorts of match reviews, opinion articles. We have a very popular opinion article that is sort of making the rounds about Landon Donovan and the fact that his comments about Mexico could potentially harm the U.S. men's national team in the future. Um, Landon Donovan is Anakin Skywalker. Yes. Turn to the dark side. Yep. He's turned to the dark side. Not that we don't love Mexico on this podcast. We do. Yeah. Um, and we love rooting for Mexico. We, we do. We just don't like Landon Donovan telling us to root for Mexico. And being paid to do it. And being paid to do it. They should pay me. Mm-hmm. All, if they paid me, I would tell you to root for Mexico. <laughs> you heard it here first. Caleb Rhodes <laughs> is a sellout. I am a sellout. So, thank you for listening to this edition of Corner Kick. We will be back before the round of 16 mm-hmm. to do a little preview action of that. Yep. But please check back to our website and social medias for all your match previews, match recaps, and opinion articles that you could ever dream of. Totally free. No subscription wall. Although, if you do want throw pillows or tote bags, you can shop at our Redbubble. You can Stickers, laptop stickers. Ooh, popular one right now. They are very popular. Tens of them sold. Yep. Tens. <laughs> All right. I have been Nick Vinden. This has been Caleb Rhodes. We are Corner Kick. We'll see you it's just next time. Awesome.